we open God's Word today in Hebrews chapter 2, I want us to pray that the author, not the man who wrote it, but the author of the Holy Spirit, would speak to us today. This book is a book that challenges us, stretches us, it encourages us, but it warns us too. So I want us to ask just to spend a moment with the Lord right now and just ask Him, Father, speak to us today. But more specifically, Father, speak to me today. Not to my wife or to my husband or to my kids or to somebody else in the room that I think you need to speak to. But Lord God, would you speak to me today? I don't believe that any of us are here by accident today. I believe that we are here because God has something He wants to say to us. He may have already said it to you in our singing. He may say it to you in just a few moments when you go to Bible study. But God has something that He wants to say to His people today, and I want us to hear what it is. So let's go to the Lord in prayer if we could. <clears throat> Lord God of heaven, sometimes you have thundered through the mountains. times you have spoken through burning bushes and through a pillar of cloud or sometimes you've spoken in miraculous ways and in signs and wonders but the way you most often speak to us is when we are alone with you and you speak to us in a still small voice So, Father God, I pray that today that voice will speak to our hearts, not my voice, but the voice of the Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts and help us to hear, and not only to hear, but to do what you say to us. Lord, I pray that you would season every word with grace, but that you would help us to understand the warnings that are in your word if we fail to walk according to your will. You've not warned us today to scare us. You warn us today to help us walk in the fulfillment of the blessed, victorious life that you have for each of us. And so, Father, I ask that you would do what man cannot do in this place, that you would save someone who's lost, that you would turn the heart of someone who is starting to walk away from you, that you will give hope to hopeless people, that you will give faith to people who are filled with doubt, that as we listen to you and as we obey you, that you would speak to us powerfully out of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you look around the world today in the areas of science and technology, it appears that we're in graduate school. Of course, learning is on such a fast curve in our society that it is impossible for us to imagine what it will be like in the next 10 years. Uh, wisdom and knowledge is increasing at such a rapid rate, it's hard for even the most brilliant person to keep up with it. But when you look at where we are in our faith after 2,000 years of the scriptures and the witness of the prophets and the, the preachers and the church, Sometimes it looks like we're still in kindergarten. We don't know everything we should know. We're not uh, grasping as quickly 
as we should grasp. You know, I, I look at my life and think how long I've been a Christian and think to myself, I should be further along in my sanctification than I am right now. I should have overcome some things by now. I should have wrestled and had victory with some things by now. I, I shouldn't be where I am as long as I've known the Lord. I should be further along in my faith. And I think there are many of us here today that feel that way. And what I want to ask you to do today is, is to not look around at somebody else. <clears throat> but I want to ask you to do what I have to do many times. And that is just get along with God and look in the mirror and say, God, what are you saying to me? What do you want me to do? Not even what do you want the church that I pastor to do. Not what do you want my children to do or my wife to do, but God, what do you want me to do? How do you want to speak to me? What do you want to change about my life? And I must admit to you that nothing breaks the heart of a pastor more than to see people where they could be and where they should be, but where for some reason they choose not to be. Because it is in the heart of any pastor that you want your people to get all that God has for them, or else why would you do it? It's not just about preaching sermons. It's not just about having events. It's that we want, this staff wants, I want, for every member of this congregation to have everything that God has for you in Christ Jesus. All the promises that are yours, all the power that is yours, all the things that are available to us in and through Christ, I want that for you. Jesus wants that for you more than I want it for you. The Holy Spirit longs for you today to have of Him what you've never had of Him before. And I think it breaks the heart of God when we are lukewarm. In fact, Revelation tells us that God would rather us be hot or cold than to be lukewarm. Lukewarm means we get real comfortable. If we're cold, we may get cold enough that we'll move toward a fire to try to warm up. But lukewarm means that we've settled in and gotten comfortable. And for some of us, our Christian life is more a question mark than an exclamation point. We're not defining ourselves the way God wants us to define ourselves. We're not living the way that He wants us to live. We're, we are living defeated lives. And, and some, someone has said that the average church member wants their coffee hot, their tea cold, and their religion warm. But I want us to have hot hearts for God. I want us to be on fire for God. I'm not talking about being fanatics. I'm not talking about being weird. I'm talking about being what the Bible calls normal. To be on fire for God, to have such a passion that we can have what they had in the book of Acts when they believed that God could do anything. And they believed that God would hear their prayers and that God would meet them at the point of their needs. And even in times of adversity and trials, they still believe the words of God spoken to their heart. I want us to look today at, if, at uh, Hebrews chapter 2 because I think God wants to meet us today. And I think He wants to, for some of us, take us on a new level of understanding of what it means to be changed into His likeness. And so as we look at, at Hebrews 2, I, I want you to understand something over the last month. The last month has not been about money. The last month has been about this membership getting before God 
and finding out, God, in every area of my life, what do you want to do? What do you want to say to me? What is it that I need to adjust in my life? What do I need to change? What do I need to repent of? What do I need to take up? It's not been about filling out a card and, and trying to get more money out of members who are already giving or getting money out of members who are not giving. It has been about us getting before God individually and saying, Lord, speak to me. I want to hear from you. And there was a time in this church where, where these people were listening to God, but in Hebrews chapter 2, the writer says, you, you've gotten to the point where you're not wanting to hear from God anymore. You're looking at other things. You're focusing on other things. You're, your attention is distracted. You're worried about persecution. You're worried about adversity. You're worried about the culture. You're worried about what's going on in society. You're, you're thinking about what's going on with people around you. And so he comes and he addresses this in chapter 2 and verse 1. For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For the words spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And guess what? We've got 2,000 years of the Holy Spirit's working added to this. How will we escape in 2001 if we neglect all that we know and all that we've seen and all that we've heard? After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Now the first thing I want us to look at this morning is if we want God's kind of life, we need to look to the Lord. We don't need to look at other people. It is real easy for me to compare myself to some other preacher and say, well, now, I think I'm doing better than he is. Or I, I'm doing better than somebody else. I, I may not be up here, but, but I, I, at least I'm here. We, the standard is not another lay person or another preacher or a staff member. The standard is the Lord. The standard by which we evaluate our lives is the Lord. Now, we looked at this a lot last week, but I want to give you three words that kind of tie together chapter 1. First of all, Christ is the ruler. Christ is the ruler. He, he owns it all. He's the heir of all things, verse 2 says. He's the heir of all things. He made the world, it says in chapter 1. Everything that's in it. You and I are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, we are to glorify God in our bodies. Christ is the ruler. Now, when he is the ruler, it settles everything else. It settles the issues of my life because if I'm under his lordship, then all I do is I go and I say, Lord, here's an issue. What am I supposed to do? Here's a situation. How am I supposed to respond? Under your lordship, Christ is the ruler. And second thing, Christ is the revelation, verse 3. Now, if you've got a little room there, I want to just give you some key words to write down. I want to give you a brief outline of the entire book in about 45 seconds. And all you got to do is write down the phrase, better than, because that is a key phrase. If you study the book of Hebrews, you will find this phrase, he is better than or greater than. 
Now let's just kind of walk through the book of Hebrews and look at it, how it's outlined and how the writer deals with it. He says Christ is a revelation. Chapter 1 and 2, he's better than angels. He's better than the angels. Chapters 3 and 4, he's better than Moses. Chapters 1 and 2, he's better than the angels. Chapter 3 and 4, he's better than Moses. Chapters 5 through 7, he's better than any earthly priest. He's better than any earthly priest. Chapter 8, he has a better and a new covenant. A better and a new covenant. Chapters 9 and 10, he is the better sacrifice. The better sacrifice. In chapters 11 through 13, he gives us a better way of life. Now what the writer has done here, he has revealed to us that Jesus is better than anything else we've ever seen or anything else we've ever heard. He is the revelation, the complete revelation of God. Thirdly, Christ is the Redeemer, verse 3. He made purification of sins. He cleansed us from all unrighteousness. He's the Redeemer. He's not only the ruler, he's the revelation, and he's the Redeemer. The reason he's the Redeemer is because he's the ruler and the revelation. The reason he's the ruler is because he's the Redeemer and the revelation. You can tie all of these together, come at them any way you want to, and they are three words that give you a key as to who Jesus is and what he's trying to do in our lives today. So that brings us to the second thing. If I want God's kind of life, I have to look honestly at my life. If I want God's kind of life, I have to look honestly at my life. Uh, <clears throat> I was on study week this past week, but uh, uh, the beautiful thing about the Internet is you can instant message. And so uh, I found my daughter at University of Mobile, and she was online, so I just got on to make sure she was studying and not just killing time. So uh, we're having this little conversation. A little later, she calls me later that night, and... And so I said, well, how are you doing? She said, well, I've got two speeches and a panel discussion in a communications class tomorrow. I said, well, what do you got to do it on? So we're talking about the different things she's doing a speech on. And she says, I have to do one that is informative and has a visual aid. And I said, well, what are you going to do with that? She said, well, I've decided that my speech is on eating disorders, and I'm taking a mirror. And here's what she said. And when she was telling me this, I was thinking, thank you, Aaron. I've got my sermon illustration for Sunday is that people with eating disorders look in a mirror and they see something that's different from what's really there. A person can be skin and bones, and if they have an eating disorder, their mind and their eyes, they look in that mirror and they say, I'm just so fat. I'm just, I'm fat. I've got to lose weight. Because they don't really see what the mirror is showing them. They see what they think the mirror is showing them. And what God's Word has to do with us is show us what's really there, not what we think is there. That's why it's not about looking around, it's about looking in. It's about looking into our hearts and seeing what does God say is there. We need to see ourselves the way God sees us. Now, turn if you would, hold your place in Hebrews, turn to the next book to the right, James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Because the Bible calls... God's Word, a mirror. James chapter 1, verse 22. But prove yourselves doers of the Word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. All James is doing there is he's saying, if you got up for church this morning and you looked in the mirror like I did, you said, you know, I'm going to have to do something before I get out of this house. I'm going to have to comb my hair. Now, for some of us, that's not as much as others. But, I, you know, ladies, you looked in the mirror and you didn't say, ah, no makeup today, I'm just going to go like this. I mean, you looked in the mirror and you saw something, you said, you know, I need to fix that. And hopefully your husband looked in the mirror, not at you, but at him, and he said, you know, I need to fix this too. You see, the mirror is there to show us what's really there. It is a reflection of reality. And sometimes we look at mirrors like mirrors in a carnival. They're distorted, and it makes us look different than we really are, but it's not how we really are. And so for this reason, he says, this is the so what. So what that Jesus is the ruler, that he is the revelation, that he is the redeemer. This is the, the so what. That he's saying don't drift downstream. Any dead fish can float. Don't just float with the current. Pay much closer attention. Now, if you want to understand what pay much closer attention means, it means don't let it go in one ear and out the other. Sometimes when, when we, when we talk, if you're a school teacher, you think that the word kind of goes in an ear and out another. Or if you're a parent, you know, it, just, it kind of just went through, but it never stopped and registered. He's saying don't let things go in one ear and out the other, lest we drift away. Now, the term drift away is a nautical term, and it implies breaking loose of our moorings. Now, I'm not a real fisherman, but I know there's some people in this room that are, and if you go out in a boat and you don't drop anchor, you can begin to think over a period of time as that boat just kind of drifts along that lake or that river, you can think that the landscape is changing, that the trees are moving, that the barns are moving, that the houses are moving. They're not moving, you're just drifting. And when the anchor's down, then you can keep your perspective. This word is about dropping your anchor in such a way that the landscape doesn't change and you see clearly what is actually going on around you. And so he says, don't drift away. Why? For the, the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense. Now the word transgressions implies a willful act of disobedience a willful act of disobedience. I'm just not going to do what God says. It is the person who intentionally crosses a line they know they're not supposed to cross. Now turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. He picks up on this in Hebrews 10, and he tells us that there's a danger for us that we would cross a line that God tells us we shouldn't cross. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26. Hebrews 10 Verse 26. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Now, we can debate all day long, no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but here's the warning that I would give you. Don't walk out today drifting. 
Don't walk out today with an area in your life where you are willfully disobedient to God because God is warning us in this book, don't let things like that go by the side. Don't ignore it. Don't pretend it doesn't matter. Now, he picks up in, with the word disobedience. The word disobedience means a passive refusal to hear. You just kind of turn a deaf ear. Those of you that have hearing aids, you know, you just kind of turn it off. I've heard about some grandparents that get around their grandkids and it gets real loud and it gets real crazy in their house. They just turn their hearing aid off. And, you know, they just sit there and smile. <laughs> Boy, Grandpa sure is happy today. Yeah, he's got his hearing aid turned off. He's not hearing a bit of this. I mean, you can turn it off and on. Well, he says, don't turn your spiritual ears off. Keep your spiritual ears in tune with God so that when God speaks to you, you can hear what he's trying to say to you. And then he uses the phrase just recompense or just reward. That which is according to the judgment of God is what that means. God gives us what's according to his judgment. What is his judgment? His precepts and his principles laid out in the word of God. God says, if you do this, I'll do this. If you don't do this, this is the end result of it. Now, here's an important thing for you to understand. God knows what it takes to get your attention. God knows what it takes to get your attention. And he is more than prepared to do it. I mean, God knows what will get your attention. He knows what gets my attention. And if we don't listen, if we harden our hearts through transgressions or through disobedience, then God has to take a next step with us of discipline, not a step that he wants to take, but a step that he has to take because he has to get our attention so that we don't fall into the same trap and drift away from God. Now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 10, and it is a warning to us about what happened to the children of Israel and how they disobeyed God. They transgressed, they disobeyed, and they got a just recompense for what happened in their life. They brought it on themselves. He doesn't say God did this because he didn't have anything else to do. He just decided to be mad that day. He says that this came apart because they wouldn't listen to God. Let's start in verse 1 of chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank of the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Verse 5, Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased. For they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, underline this verse because it comes twice. Now, these things happened as examples for who? For us. Even us today. These things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Now, what was the evil that they craved? They just wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to go back to the old way of life. They want to go back to leeks and garlic and onions. I mean, who in the world wants to go back to leeks and garlics and onions? Uh, you know, boy, you don't want to be in a room with them. I mean, these people wanted to go back to Egypt. Now, think about what they wanted to go back to. They wanted to go back to the bondage and slavery that they asked God to deliver them out of because they thought that was better than following God in the wilderness. And that happens to believers sometimes. 
We get saved because God shows us that our lives are a wreck and our lives are miserable and our lives are in bondage and, and all of a sudden God shows us that he will save us from that and we get saved and somewhere down the road we think, you know, I kind of miss my old way of life. Paul says these things are written as examples so that you won't do that, so that you'll see that God wasn't pleased with them. Now verse 7, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Verse 11, here he goes again. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our what? Instruction. So God could teach us upon whom the ends of the age have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now go back to Hebrews 2.4. And somewhere by Hebrews 2.4, write 1 Corinthians 10 in the margin of your Bible. Because he picks up on this idea that Paul has given us great detail in. He just talks about it in one verse. In one verse, he summarizes what happened to the children of Israel. God also bearing witness with them, both by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. By the way, that little phrase, signs and wonders, is a phrase that appears over and over in the book of Acts. It is a sign, it's, it's something that says, when God is at work, things are happening. There are signs and wonders that give evidence and, and credibility and various miracles, and the Holy Spirit is moving. He says that, that God bore witness. What he's saying is God gave them everything they needed, and they still disobeyed. You see, you and I are responsible for what we see and for what we hear. We're responsible whether we wanted to do something about it or not. When we were supposed to obey, if we didn't obey, we're still responsible for that action. We're responsible for how we stand before God. And, and quite honestly, sometimes I am spiritually ADD. Sometimes I have a spiritual attention deficit disorder. I don't listen to God. I don't hear what he has to say to us. I don't see the way he wants me to see. I, I don't decipher what he wants to do. And so I, I, have a, I have a deficit in my life because I'm not willing to take the time to sit and to listen and to learn and to be quiet before God and say, God, what do you want to say to me? These believers were in danger of drifting away. Why? Because they were trying to coast off of a past experience, off of what they heard from somebody else. But they weren't applying the Word of God to their own lives. And so let me ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. <clears throat> Therefore, verse 7, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was angry with this generation and said they, will also, they always go astray in their heart and they do not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 12. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil unbelieving. Now notice how he describes an unbelieving heart. It's evil. An evil unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But 
encourage one another day by day, as long as it is still called a day, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For if we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end, while it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. Now let's be honest, none of us are immune from drifting. It is very easy for us to harden our hearts. Something can happen in our lives, somebody can hurt us, somebody can offend us, somebody can bruise us, somebody can wound us, and all of a sudden we build up a wall. The problem is that wall also gets built up against God because we don't want to hear what God is trying to teach us out of that situation. And so we get hardened to the person or the individual or the circumstance or the event, but we also get hardened to God and what God's trying to say to us and what difficulties and problems need to do is they need to drive us to our knees to say, God, what do you want to teach me in this situation? What are you trying to say to me? What is it that I can't get through my thick head that you're trying to teach me about? What is it that I need to understand? You see, it was true of the children of Israel in the wilderness. It was true of the children of Israel and the Hebrew Christians in this book, and it's true of us. It is easy for us to drift away and to build a wall and to back up and to just step a little further away from God and say, you know, I'm not real sure about all this. God doesn't seem to do in my life what he does in somebody else's. God doesn't seem to hear like he does with somebody else. And we cannot afford to think that way because we will drift away and we will lose our moorings. Paul talks, uh, the writer of Hebrew talks about that we are to run the race with endurance. Uh, I don't know how many of you are joggers and I don't know how many of you are runners, but uh, I tried running for a while. I ran track for a while in high school and I decided to give it up because I just kept finding, meeting myself. I just kept going around this thing. I just... You know, I kept waiting, you know, where's the candy bar machine? You know, so, got to be something here. I mean, it's just a tape, is that it? I just cross a tape? You know, and the coach says, not good time, son. You're going to need to do that again. I mean, that, nothing motivated me about that. You know, it, some of you have started trying to run. You know, the doctor told you you need to get healthy. You need to run. And you ran right to the recliner. Sat down, got you a big cold soda pop, and just said, man... I'm going to do that tomorrow. The scripture says today, if you've been warned, don't harden your hearts. Now, he gives us five exhortations. Five exhortations and then five warnings. First exhortation is found in chapter 2 in verse 1 through verse 4. Lay hold. There's something that we are to lay hold of. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Second thing he tells us is simply we're to do it. Do what God says. Just do what God says. Don't debate it. Don't argue about it. Don't discuss it. Don't try to analyze it. Just do what God says. He says don't harden your heart. Number three, we're to go on with God. Just go on with God. You know, we spend so much time in our lives worrying about if everybody else is going to go on with God, but the only person we're responsible for is us. I mean, I'm responsible for me. I'm not responsible for other people. I'm responsible to tell the truth as a pastor. I'm responsible to preach the word without apology. But I'm not responsible if you choose not to be responsible. You see, we have to go on in our relationship with God. Number four, draw near. 
As I'm going on, if I don't watch it, I'll get in my flesh and, and I'll just go on and I'll get out there and I'll do all kind of religious things, but I won't be drawing near to God. You see, I'm going out, but I'm also looking in. I'm drawing near to God. Number five, build up. Build up. Now these five exhortations are in the subjunctive mood. And they are in first person plural, us. What he's saying is all of us, not just a few of us, not just the remnant, not just those that are, are really on track with God right now, but all of us who hear these exhortations need to be moving in this direction. It is a positive encouragement to say, let's get on board. Let's do what God's told us to do. Let's move forward in faith with God. Now he gives us five warnings. These warnings parallel these exhortations. He says to lay hold, but then he says don't drift away. Don't drift away. How do I keep from drifting away? I lay hold of what God's got for me. Number two, don't doubt the sufficiency of God. These people were in times of persecution and trial, and they were beginning to think, you know, I'm not sure, I'm not sure God can take care of this. I'm, I'm not sure God's in charge. I'm not sure he's in control. I, I may have to take matters into my own hands. And so he warns them, and he, he says, don't doubt the sufficiency of God. Don't get out there and run your life on your own terms because you're going to get in trouble. Number three, don't be dull of hearing. Get your ears in tune. Get on God's frequency. Listen in to what he has to say. Cut out the static. Cut out the noise. Get you a filtering system in your, in your head where you're not dull to hear, that you're quick to obey what God says to you. One of the things that I ask God to do, Lord, I don't want you to have to tell me twice. I don't want you to have to keep repeating to me over and over again. I want to get it the first time. I want to hear what you've got to say to me the very first time you say it, and I want to get on track with you. I don't want you to have to pull me along. Don't be dull of hearing. Number four, don't despise what God wants to do in your life. Don't despise what God wants to do in your life. Now, we sang that song, The Potter's Hand. I want to tell you something. When the potter gets a hold of me, sometimes he squeezes me in areas where I don't want to be squeezed. And sometimes I say, Lord... Do you know that that hurts? Do you understand how uncomfortable you're making me? If you love me, why are you letting this happen to me? You see, that's despising what God wants to do in my life. God obviously finds something in me that doesn't look like Jesus Christ, and so he's trying to cut it away and cut it off and get me more and more into the image of Christ. And so when God begins to do that, don't complain. Go to God and say, God, tell me what you're trying to teach me. Tell me what you're trying to say to me. Help me to understand what you want to do in my life because I, I just, if it's up to me, I'd like to get this pressure off now, but I want to learn what you want me to learn. Number five, don't defy what God has said. Verse 25 of chapter 12. For if those did not escape who refused him who warned them on earth, much less shall we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. What does God want from us? He wants faithfulness. Tertullian, who was one of the first century church fathers, ran across a group of Christians, could have been somebody like this group that was written to here. And they were beginning to compromise their faith. They were beginning to be scared of the persecution that was coming their way. And, and Tertullian confronted a group of them and said, you can't do that. 
You belong to Christ. And one of the members of the congregation in that first century church said, but we have to eat. Tertullian said, no, you don't. And another one said, but we have to work. And Tertullian said, no, you don't. And a third one said, but we have to live. And Tertullian said, no, you don't. You only have to be faithful. See, the truth of the matter is to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. God didn't tell us we had to eat. God didn't tell us we had to work. God doesn't tell us we have to live. He just says we have to be faithful. Now tonight, we're going to look at the greatest thing that will keep you from following God, and that is what he talks about, the fear of death. I don't know anybody in this room that if you've lived long enough, you haven't been confronted with the fear of death. And see, that's what these people were dealing with. What if persecution comes? What if adversity comes? What if I have to pay a price for my faith? What if I'm called on to sacrifice for God? And so he talks about how Jesus takes away the power of the devil in the area of our fears. And we're going to talk about fear tonight. But I want to tell you the fear that will get you this morning. It's the fear of taking God at his word. It will be the fear of, God, if I do what you say, I'm going to have to change something about my life. Yes, you will. God, if I obey you, it, it's going to mean I'm going to have to make some apologies to some people. That's right. Lord, I'll have to adjust my lifestyle. I'll have to change the way I think. I'll have to re reorganize my priorities. That's right. You will. But for your good. It's for your good. And I appeal to you today in this time of invitation, if God is speaking to your heart, don't hold on to something that you can't take to heaven with you anyway. Don't hold on to something that you would get rid of if you could see it in your life the way God sees it in your life. Bring it to the altar. Let it go. Give it up. It's not worth it to break fellowship with God and to miss what God wants to do with you for some little thing that you want to argue with the Lord about. Just lay it down at the feet of the cross and say, Lord, I, I, I'm tired of carrying this baggage. I'm tired of doing life this way. I'm, I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of living a defeated life. I'm tired of hearing other people talk about victory and I'd never experience it for myself. I want to have the victory that you've got for me. The step begins today. So I want to ask you to stand with heads bowed and eyes closed.
Thank you for joining us for Path to Truth. If you would like to learn more about Sherwood Baptist Church here in Albany, Georgia, you can explore our website at www.sherwood-baptist.org. If you would like a copy of today's service, please send us your name and address to Path to Truth, 2201 Whispering Pines Road, Albany, Georgia, 31707. Once again, that's Path to Truth at 2201 Whispering Pines Road in Albany, Georgia, zip code 31707. If you're requesting a video,